Welcome to Piecing It All Together. Hey, I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. We are piecing it all together with you. It is April, and we have some big plans for the next couple months. And April's gotten to be such a busy, busy month. I oh. know. Not only, well, for those of us who celebrate Easter, it's Easter month, so that's a big mm-hmm. deal. Which is, incidentally, the same day as Earth Day, and there's something really cool about that. Is that right? Yeah. I had not seconds. seen that yet. Yep. Earth Day, Easter. No way. That's yeah. really interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I haven't thought that far ahead. To yeah. be honest, I'm I'm working uh, just a couple days ahead all the time right now. Yeah. I've got way too much going on. I can't even think that far ahead. Yeah, and, you know, it's really cool because you know, like we, the the Chris, early Christians began to celebrate Easter as a um, um, instead of the day for. The Earth Goddess, yeah, and uh, that's where we get the eggs and the bunny rabbits and all the fertility and fecundity and all that kind of stuff. So, so it's kind of like Jesus and the Earth (laughs) Goddess and everything all together, right? Oh no! So uh, you don't watch this program, American Gods, do you? No, that's really really interesting. But uh, it uh, that the woman and who was who was that? Osiris or uh, Isis? uh, uh, Yeah, the the woman multi-breast fertility goddess. I can't remember the name right now. It's a shame. I think we're supposed to know that. But um, she has a party, right? And there's like 30 different Jesuses there. And it's like, they're saying, these are the different American Jesuses, you know? So, oh, my gosh. Wow. There's bunnies running around everywhere. We are starting at the deep end of the pool today. That's right. Hey, listeners, there's a bunch of stuff coming up that we want to let you know about. So we want to walk you through the Mondays coming up. So today is the episode 37. That's what you're listening to now. Next Monday, the 8th, will be episode 38. And um, we're going to talk about some various subjects, including communal learning and discernment is one of the things I'm hoping that we talk about. Oh, wonderful. Now, on the 15th, getting ready for Earth Day, we're actually going to play an episode, part of an episode uh, that Randy did with a different podcast. And they've agreed to let us utilize a part of that audio and to cross-promote with them. So we're excited uh, to have that as we get ready for Earth Day. It was a really good interview. Yeah, and just in case you're wondering, both Bo and I have an, an open relationship with our podcast <laughs> so that we actually are free to date other podcasts. <laughs> That's true. It's true. Did you listen to that one? I was on the Theopoetics one. I did. I you did? It, it went over my head. Oh. Wow. I'm, I'm impressed. That, thank you for listening to that. Well, no. Yes. I mean, you, you got a lot of great things oh, to say. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm just a very simple person. Though. I thought you were going to say no, and then I could razz you because I listened to the one <laughs> you're on. I thought I was going to get you, but nope. you, you surprised me. That's great. Now, on the 22nd, going through the Mondays of April, um, we're going to walk around the farm with Edith and Randy, and mm-hmm. I'm going to... Uh, walk with them and talk with them and ask questions and, and we're gonna actually spend some time on the land. Yeah, because we got some big, big, big news coming up. Yes, save that news for that day, man. Okay. Well, there. Yes, there's a big, big thing coming, and so we're very excited about that. Everyone will want to be uh, participating in that. And then on the 29th, we'll do episode 41. So if you have any topics that you want us to cover on episode 41, uh, go ahead and let us know. You can post that on Facebook. You can email us at connect at piecingitalltogether.com. If you're a Patreon supporter, you can let us know there. You can tweet us. There's a whole bunch of ways that you can connect and uh, let us know, and then we'll build it into that episode that is coming out on the last Monday of the month. Now, 
That is all ahead of our next Zoom chat. Uh, so if you want to participate in the next Zoom chat, become a Patreon supporter, and uh, we will get ready. And it's going to be on May 4th. May the 4th be with you, <laughs> as they say. And uh, so May we're excited about that. You. No. And, uh, yeah, so we'll do that on that Saturday morning. Last thing that I want to promo is we are adding a reading group. Oh, this is the big thing. For now, this yeah. Is, this is the big, it's not your big, the big deal. It's a big deal. It's, yeah. it's currently, yes. We're adding a reading group, and it's actually going to be uh, on FaceTime, uh, just on, on Facebook. Anybody with Facebook can participate in it, but we'll also make it available on other platforms so that if you're not a Facebooker, that you can participate. But what we want to do is we want to start reading some books together. Because we, you and I are loving this conversation, mm-hmm. and uh, the podcasts are, are good, but there are a lot of you and I um, sort of uh, starting to be catalysts for the conversation, and then we started to track it as it goes. But this is a way for us to actually engage people in real time. So uh, I am going to start with the book Shalom and the Community of Creation. Are you familiar with it? It's a weird little book. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm going to invite people to read it with me. And here's how I think it, it could go. So on the 9th, that's Tuesday the 9th, we'll set up a time for everyone to meet online in a virtual space, and we will um, talk about the first. So we're going to break the book into thirds. It, it breaks up nicely. So we'll do part one on Tuesday the 9th. Then we'll do part two 14 days later on the 23rd. And then on May 7th, you, the author, Randy, will sit in uh, with me, and then people will actually be able to converse with you about your book, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, yeah. I've had uh, just in the last month, I've had two different groups who are reading my book. Um, uh, one's kind of like a book club, uh, and uh, and that was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then one was a group in um, Los Angeles, California. Mostly people of color who were reading my book and wanted um, Edith and I, actually both of us, to, okay. to join in and, and talk. And it was, both times were, were, were fun and rewarding for, I think, both parties. So. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And people are reading the book. They, and I think the, knowing that you're going to get to talk with the author afterwards really changes the way that you engage the book. <clears throat> because... Uh, you're, you're going to be reading something, but you know that it's not just you and the black and white of the text, mm-hmm. but that there's actually going to be an engagement at the end of it. I think it changes the way you read. Yeah, it might also change sort of like that cynical attitude you have when you know you're not going to talk <laughs> to the author. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No. Who's it, this guy think he is? You know, I've had uh, uh, books in classes like that, like, uh, for example, um, Sun Chan Ra's, one of his yeah. books, and they were reading it, and they started ragging on him, and I let him go on and on, and then I said, you know, he's a good friend of mine. <laughs> oh, we didn't know. No, so. we didn't know. <laughs> uh, listeners, if you want to pick up Shalom in the Community of Creation, wherever you get your books, or if you already have it, dust it off and uh, start to look at it again. They can actually get it from me. Did you know that? Right from you. Yeah. Alahey.org. All right. Skip yeah. skip the middleman. Yeah. Well, or they can just go to alaheyseeds.com, okay. um, which is where our store is at. But, yeah. but, yeah, we just recently, because it's kind of weird and, and funny that you should suggest this because we didn't, you know, we didn't talk about this no. at the time, and you, you're suggesting it. But 
um, that the Shalom book is getting a sort of second life now. So I wrote it in 2012, but it's really huh? like I'm getting more emails and more requests and huh. more stuff. People, and I, I think it's because Shalom the, theology is basically catching on, is right? right? And people are starting to become more and more popular. Yeah. So people are looking around and going, "Oh, there's a book," you know, and yeah. then they read it, and so um, so that's exciting. So we decided, hey, let's just start carrying our books again. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so yeah, if they want to get it from us, you know, if you want to give Jeff Bezos your money, that's fine. Um, if you want, to well, he's had a tough week. Some... All of his <laughs> <laughs> all of his personal information was released by the National Enquirer. Oh my goodness! And uh, because they're in retribution, by the way, for uh, the Washington Post, um, right? Yeah, yeah, that whole deal with Trump. Yikes! And, yeah. yeah, so um, that got ugly. Yeah, so you know, I don't have anything against Amazon. I mean. Except for the way they handle private information, but besides that, um, you can get it from us. You can get it from Amazon. You can get it from Urban's, or yeah, or your local book, or your local ind- bookstore. Let's support them too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, especially if you live in Portland. <laughs> Lots of independent bookstores in Portland. Yeah. Uh, so, Randy, there's two things I was hoping we could talk about today. The first is uh, this idea of peacemaking and reconciliation. You know, I always joke that peace is our first name. And so, piecing. And, uh, so I'd Does like that to, mean our last name is Ing? <laughs> no, together. Our last <laughs> name is together. Oh, together. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh-uh. Yeah. I, uh, people listening don't know, but I've drank way too many cups of coffee today. So. <laughs> yeah, I always joke, like, all is our middle name, and together <laughs> is um, our last name. So, I want to talk a little bit about that, specifically because since the last time you and I recorded, uh, Something has happened to me, and I would like to kind of debrief it with you. Okay. But but um, lots of people have chimed in on the issue, so I know that there's lots of folks who are interested in the topic. And then if we have time at the end, uh, I really uh, would be interested in talking about uh, different models, sort of, of reconciliation or, or expectations and what that might look like. Yeah, I could get excited about that. Okay. And, um, yeah, and then uh, on the next episode, we can talk about communal discernment and accountability, but I, I, I think this would be a good place to start. Okay. So um, here's the story uh, with some key details left out because they are just rabbit trails that will take us off the path that I'm hoping we go. So I'm part of a denomination that I work for. Um, we just had a big conference, United Methodist. We just had a big conference to decide whether to do same-sex marriages. West of the Rockies, we're all sort of for it, but we lost the vote. It was a global vote, and we lost it. It was a close 53-47, but the traditional plan won out. And so it says we can't do same-sex marriage, gay clergy can't be ordained. Okay, so I don't want to get bogged down in those details. Here's where my interest with, with talking with you, debriefing with you comes out. The level of devastation and heartache amongst my fellow clergy and people in my denomination was, I mean, honestly, it was gut-wrenching. Sure. And, and the online expression of that pain, uh, the memes that were created, the venting. Um, and like, we used to have, like, a clergy group on Facebook that you had to, like, prove your credentials to get into. It's falling apart. Like, the, the amount of uh, 
rending of garments and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, this is devastating for people who have really invested their entire life in this denomination and in this cause. And so I was put in a little bit of an interesting place because while I definitely side with them, I mean, I'm in the same conviction they am. I've, you know, sacrificed for this cause and I'm, you know, I'm an ally and an advocate. But here's where it comes to me is I don't want to contribute to the problem that is crippling our culture right now. Okay. And so you see it in politics, Mm -hmm. you see it in the economy, you see it in environmental issues, you see it in religious issues, education, vaccination, nearly any topic you and I could bring up. We are so divided and the opinions are so polarized that I don't want to contribute to the divide. Mm. So I was put in an interesting place in that I have a definite opinion on this. I am pro-LGBT inclusion in the church. I am pro-same-sex marriage. I have made my bed. I'm at a reconciling church, which is advocating for this change. Like, I have lost uh, jobs as an adjunct professor because I couldn't sign the statement that says marriage is between a man and a woman. So, like, I've made my position clear. But... I have no interest in, uh, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or my blog or whatever it is in the the, the interwebs, or in our, our face-to-face meetings when we meet as clergy, I don't want to make the problem worse by venting and taking shots and you know criticizing. I would love to be a peacemaker. And I really would like to do this thing I really have bought into in 2 Corinthians 5, if you read the Bible, talks about the ministry of reconciliation. That's a big word, reconciliation. But I am finding it more and more difficult. <clears throat> so I wanted to talk with you and see um, how you navigate these things. So there's two specific things I'd like to ask you about. How do you be a peacemaker between two warring groups or conflicting groups, when you definitely have an opinion that's on one side of the issue, Mm -hmm. how do you put yourself in the middle as a peacemaker? That's the first issue. And then the second thing is, how do you work towards reconciliation when you really think not only that the other side is wrong, but behaving in a way that is harmful to a marginalized minority? Mm. Yeah. So, all right. So that is the layout of the situation. And I would just love to interact with you and see, do you have any thoughts? I mean, that's why I didn't want to get bogged down in the topic specifically. Yeah. Because for different people, it's going to be different things. It may be. Right. I mean, we could, and we could be talking about abortion. Sure. The increase, the the increase in laws, the increase in suicide amongst vets. I mean, there's so many issues. That we care about. Yeah. So the second question, let's do that first. Okay. Okay. So your second question um, was when you, when you think the other person's wrong, how do you get in the middle of that? Right. Right. In a way that doesn't contribute, doesn't inflame the controversy. So for example, um, we have a very divided politic right now. Um, One of the things that people will say uh, who are against Trump is they will say, well, Donald Trump is a liar. Mm-hmm. He lies every day. Mm-hmm. 
that's a proven fact. Sure. You can't dispute it. But um, and, and so all you have to do is like you know play a video, yeah. uh, you know, or, or you know repeat yeah. the tweet or yeah. anything like that. But the people who are hearing that, what they're hearing is not you know fact or no fact. What they're hearing is you're attacking the person I believe is a good president's character, mm. right? And so now we're talking in two different places. Yeah. We're talking past one another. Okay. One person is saying, you know, I think he has bad character because he lies every day. The other person says, why do you have to attack his character? They may not, it may not sound like that, but okay. that's often, I think, what happens. Yeah. That's what I've noticed anyway. Okay. So, um, yeah, so how, what do you do? Well, in the first place, you have to remember that we're all just human, right? Yeah. So I'm as human as anybody. Um, and hopefully more. <laughs> I mean, if I can uh, be more human, then I understand my faults more. I understand uh, my inability to see things sometimes clearly. And I just look back at my own life and go, well, I saw this. And, you know, I didn't see this there. But, you know, 10 years later, now I understand it differently. And so it, it takes, I think, some... Uh, big, you ready? $20 word that I learned uh, when I was doing my PhD. Yeah. Epistemological humility. (laughs) (laughs) It takes some, some humility in understanding how you come to know things. Yeah. Right. How do we know what we know? That's all epistemology means. Yeah. It's just, how do we know what we know? So we know through our experience, we know through research and gathering facts we know through testing out the the uh, in our fact finding. Um, we know by collaborating. We know through you know lots of different ways. We all have different experiences, okay, and we don't all know in the same way, and we don't all know at the same time. And so, if I'm going to enter in a conversation with my quote unquote enemy, right, no. and at least my. Interlocutor. Yes, yes. Yes. So um, uh, if I'm going to enter into that conversation, then I have to enter it as a human being, mm. not as a position. Okay. So if if we're ever going to not speak past one another, then we have to understand our, our humanness. Mm. I, I think that's the first step. Yeah. That's very interesting. And the world that we live in, just in our time... Um, so, you know, there's this thing called virtue signaling, which is that when you're really passionate about an issue, one of the things you can do is like say the right thing or post the right meme or the right link in order to signal to your fellow, um, believers and whatever this topic is, who's ever on your side, you signal your virtue, that you're a virtuous person to them. So it's called virtue signaling. Mm But so I do that, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to. What I try to do with that is create disequilibrium. Yeah, you're a provocateur. Yes. I'm a provocateur. Yes, because yeah. what I, I I know that status quo or yeah. what they call homeostasis, <laughs> status quo is the place that everybody wants to return to. It's just natural humanness, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the only way to to sort of grow out of that is to create this disequilibrium and that's when we're open to change and so mm-hmm. i often my teaching style is yeah. to yeah. create disequilibrium yeah. so that people can begin to see a different paradigm okay um, but it has nothing to do with how virtuous i think I am. but here's the downside that's interesting but here's the downside to this thing of virtue signaling is when you don't do it 
people start to question why you're not doing it. Mm. So um, when this issue came up, I actually just found this out last week. It's one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up today is I found out that because even though I had written on my disappointment in the decision, even though I had stated where I was on the issue, but because I didn't make a big stink about it, I didn't change my Facebook profile to have a rainbow over it, or I didn't preach on it that Sunday, because mm-hmm. I, you know, I write my sermons weeks ahead of time. Uh, some people thought, oh, I guess Bo's not that invested in this issue. He doesn't seem that upset by it. So I hadn't signaled, signaled enough virtue. Well, that's not right. Right, but we live in an era where if you're not as upset as the rest of your peers, then people say, oh, I guess you don't care that much. Really? Yeah. That, that's what happens with you? Um, I'm just finding this out. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I've never seen that. But um, I think that's a pretty judgy thing to do, right? I mean, it's like, you know, because I'm not doing what you're doing, that means I, I don't believe in it. But that's the environment that we're doing reconciliation in now. No, so how do you try and be a peacemaker when that's what you're dealing with? Yeah. Because if you're not as upset as as the other people around you, it looks like you don't care. Well, I guess you have to do the same thing. All of a sudden now, uh, they're on the other side of the divide, <laughs> and you have to enter that as a human being and, and say, no, look, I'm just as upset as you, but I choose to show it differently, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I understand. And, 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 but, but the bottom line is, like, where are we hurting, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, and who's hurting? Yes. Because, you know... It's it's one thing for um, for those who are advocates and yeah. allies yes. to to get upset and say yes. things and hurt and, and well they should. Yes. Uh, uh, it's another thing for those who are being oppressed. Yes. To um, to say stuff. If right? you're not so. part of the community that's affected, so I want those voices to take the lead. Absolutely. Right, and then I'll promote them. Yeah. But I shouldn't be the loudest person in the room as a straight white male who's been married for 25 years because this verdict doesn't affect me at all except in my conviction. Right. So and, I, and so you have the privilege and the luxury of um, being able to say something or not say something, but I think if you understand your job is to amplify, yeah. the, and this is, doesn't matter what the yeah. issue is, if you amplify the voice of those who are being oppressed, then you are using your power in a place that can... Yeah. Uh, um, that, that can advance their cause. Yes. So, yeah. um, and so th- I tackle this all the time with native people, right? Okay. So um, it's so easy for non-native folks to come in and want to sort of like fix it, right? Yeah. Well, we know how to fix this. Um, and, and that just disempowers indigenous people. Mm. But if, if they listen to indigenous people and then amplify what they're saying, then that's the best I think they can do. Okay. So. Well, that's okay. That's helpful. So that's why I wanted to pick your brain on the issue, because you have—I mean, your lead foot. Your you have, have staked your claim that you're making your way in the world as both a peacemaker and uh, as a person who is promoting reconciliation and other RE words like reparations. Mm -hmm. So you are in that way provoking the status quo not to become too solidified because there is work to do on behalf of justice 
in uh, communities that have been marginalized. Right. If there's if there's no justice, there's no peace. Yeah. So what do you have to do? You have to create justice, right? So and that's um, how you peacemake. Yeah, that's how you peacemake. You can't come in. And peacemaking is not you know saying don't make waves. It's not pacifying, right? And that is sort of where it's become a sort of a milk toast yeah. kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. And uh, uh, so, so if you're if you're just trying to kind of smooth things over, that has nothing to do with making peace. All you're doing is prolonging the the problems that are presenting themselves. So so you have to then become a provocateur mm-hmm. um, in order to make peace. Yes. The the commitment I always ask for is be passionate, yeah. um, be respectful, and don't get up and leave the table. Mm. You know. Because I think what happens so many people is they don't have the commitment. Sure. And and for those who are the privileged they have the privilege of getting up and walking away and going, well, it doesn't affect me anyway, so I'm not going to spend time doing this. But those who are being oppressed, they don't have the privilege of walking away and everything being better. Mm-hmm. So, so in other words, those who are oppressed have to stay at the table. Yeah. They're obliged to stay at the table if they want something changed. And it's those privileged few who are willing to stay at the table yeah. who um, become the real allies. Right? Yeah. And, you know, part of the problem is when uh, people who are deeply affected by these issues, they get upset. Maybe they get more emotional. Maybe they get angry. Maybe they get loud. And then those who are more privileged or comfortable, they get uncomfortable and then they want to leave the table. So part of the work of a person like me, an advocate or an ally, depending on the issue, is to say, um, hey, why don't you stay at the table just because their voice got raised or they're showing a little emotion or some anger or even making some accusations? We need to stay at the table. That's how I can advocate for making peace is, is to... Uh, not allow the status quo to stand. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, and it's it's hard because it is a, it's a white people's culture to one take offense easily, <laughs> to have thin skin, <laughs> and to get up and leave. When, What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> <laughs> to, to get up and leave when when they've heard enough, right? It's yep. like, well, I've heard this before, or, yeah. or I'm not coming back to this meeting why because all they just, do is talking about you know racial stuff. You know, why don't I'm you just let it go? Why is it always yeah, why about can't race? People just get over, it, you know, yeah. and um, you know all that stuff. And so uh, if, if things are going to change, it just there has to be a different attitude, right? And so uh, I love when white folks are in a room like that because I like a hot table. Yeah. You know, I like, I like a hot table, but I like a table where people don't get up and leave because <laughs> it's only in a hot table that people actually come yeah. out and say what they really think, right? Right. right. And um, otherwise, the, the, mm-hmm. the passivity, yeah. the learned passivity, even the physicality of white folks when confronted with this stuff is so deeply embedded, it's like in the DNA. Yeah. And, um, and so it's a real chore to stay at the table. Yeah. But it's what has to happen. You know, you know as we... Uh, if there's going to be lasting change. Yeah. As we round the corner to wrapping up this part of the conversation, there are two things that seem really relevant to me. One is, you know, if you're in a white space, so let's say somebody brings in you and Edith, right, to bring a different perspective or maybe uh, provoke a different conversation, but you're fundamentally in a white space. Exactly. And they and said... what white space or white time... 
like time and space actually have a race now, right? Yes. If it's the dominant culture, then the the race of time and place is white. Yeah. So they might say, uh, we've asked Randy and Edith here, and they have they're going to take us up to the eleven o'clock break. So from nine thirty to eleven. Uh, so we're going to sing a couple songs, and then they're going to come and lead this discussion. So let's say after the couple song, and you get up and you introduce yourself, and now you're forty five minutes in, and it's just started to get heated, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, now this is where right we're going to see some breakthrough. This is where we're going to start being honest with each other. And then somebody will come up and go, oh, that was a great workshop. Yeah. Uh, so at 11, so everybody take a look at your calendar, your, your schedules this afternoon. You can go to this breakout session and this breakout session, and your time's over. That's Man, you described this to a T, <laughs> except for you gave us too much time. Usually we don't get 90 minutes or anything. So, so part of the reason that, that reconciliation and even peacemaking doesn't happen is because of these um, boundaries that we put on it, that we compartmentalize it. In white space. Yeah, Yeah. and into white time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, disrupting that or transgressing that in that spot would actually be part of the peacemaking process would be to crack open those boundaries that have been put on it to make room for people who have been affected by this issue to really let their voice be heard. Yeah, so that creates that disequilibrium I'm right. talking about, right? So, um, and, and back to the anger thing for just a moment, yeah. I want to quote you know, Malcolm X, right? Okay. So, you know, I've talked about this thing called the X-King factor, right? Yeah. It's like when, when, when um, Martin Luther King started getting famous back in the 60s, um, uh, Broadly, white people, especially even evangelicals, you know, couldn't stand him, right? But then when Malcolm X started getting real famous, yeah. they were like, oh, we love Dr. King, right? It took a few years, you know, yeah. usually, and most of them after he died, right? Now everybody loves King. But the thing is, is that, and Malcolm X said some great things too, and, and I don't think there would have been the, the, the civil rights movement. We attribute like Martin King, and, and I like to attribute SNCC, you know, Student Nonviolent mm-hmm. Coordinating Committee, and a lot of other folks. But we don't give enough credit to Malcolm X because, you know, if it wasn't for X, then King wouldn't have had the success that he has because Mm -hmm. white people wouldn't have gone with King. Mm -hmm. And so I call it the X-King factor. So if, uh, uh, if we think about some of the things that X said, he said, like, some stuff that really makes sense. He said, you know, if I meet a black man who's not angry, you know, I don't trust him, you know. And, And he said things like, if I'm sitting on a hot stove... I'm coming up. It doesn't matter if I'm angry or not. I'm coming up. And so he, 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 he likened the plight of black folks at that time to sitting on a hot stove and coming up. It doesn't matter. And so um, I think the privilege is to be able to watch it and judge it rather than to actually have it be happening to you. And when it's happening to you, it's happening to your family. It's happening to your children. It's happening to the people in your community that you know. And, and you are sitting on a hot stove. And so you got to come up, and you're usually going to come up quick and angry, right? So I think it's just a, a cultural adjustment that white folks are going to have to make mm. if they want to see lasting change. Yeah. You know, I had something really interesting like that a couple months ago. Uh, I was leading a, a church service um, about forgiveness. And I used this tactic where I presented the ideas that people are so familiar with about, you know, like Jesus's teachings about forgiveness and basically said, like, you should do this 
it was a total setup for them to be like, well, it's really hard, and what about this? And we don't want to be doormats, so you know, like they were resisting it a little. But then I had found this other paradigm. Uh, my my philosopher I go to, Zizek, he tells this story about. Uh, I think I mentioned it to you actually that in Japan, the, after the atrocities of World War II. There became a policy in that Confucian culture to not, you never want to disturb the mentality and the memories of the elders. So you do not bring up the atrocities of World War II and the conflict with Korea and the other、uh, surrounding countries. So you don't re traumatize them? Right, the right. So you, you don't want to upset the, the, the mentality of the elders.、Mm-hmm. And so they have a saying, Unlike our saying, which is、uh, f- forgive but don't forget,、mm-hmm. they have a saying which is forget but never forgive.、Ooh. That's how it translates.、Yeah. And when I presented that, so after that first round of conversation with my church folks, I presented this other alternative. And all of a sudden, they were standing up for forgiveness and they were advocating for forgiveness, which 20 minutes before they had not been so sure about. Sounds like the ex king factor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing that finding out that there's a different paradigm actually enables you to embrace the part of the current one that you're resisting. Right. It opens、yeah. up a new possibility. Yeah. I just want to make sure that we leave time for you to talk about beating guns into plows. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I can say that real quick. Okay. So,、um, Shane Claiborne, who many people know、sure. of,、um, The Simple Way, and、uh, Shane's got a number of books out. And, Jesus、uh, for President was a good one. Yeah, then the,、um, uh, the, the new book,、um, which he co authors, is called Beating Guns, basically. And so, it's a lot of what they've been doing in Philadelphia. Uh, they, they, they started taking like, handguns and, and、oh. uh, assault rifles and that were used in killings and, and that they found in empty houses they were refurbishing and stuff like that. And then got a blacksmith to come in and then melt those things down and then beat them into actual tools that people could use in their community gardens.、Oh. And so it's literally that, that scripture that、yeah. talks about in Isaiah 2 beating their、uh, swords into plowshares.、Yeah. This is one of the pictures of Shalom. And、I talk about it in my book, Shalom and the Community of Creation. I talk about、yeah. what this means on a world level. And can you imagine you know, driving a tank into a factory shed where formerly unemployed workers you know, work on it and then it comes out as a tractor, right? Yeah. So on biodiesel. And uh, <laughs> so um, uh, it, it's very much, I think, part of this whole idea of shalom and you know, harmony and all of that sort of thing. And so Shane asked me if I would come and talk a little bit about the history of. Guns in terms of Native Americans in Oregon and uh, uh, share a little of our experiences. So, so I did that. And、uh, Edith and I, because we are the victims of gun violence、um, when we lost our,、mm-hmm. our 50 acre farm in、uh, Indigenous Learning Center, sustainable farm in、um, Kentucky to a group of paramilitary white supremacists, it was because they had a 50 caliber、uh, machine gun and they fired it at odd times all throughout the, around、mm-hmm. the clock. And so Um, and so we were able to, everyone who had who'd,、um, been touched by gun violence was able to come and beat, beat that. And then,、uh, and, and Shane does a wonderful presentation on you know, the statistics of gun violence and all that, mass shootings and all those kinds of things. And, 
and uh, and it's just very educational and informative. He's doing a 37 city tour. I think Portland was halfway through. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, and so and then they dedicate because Edith's Shoshone people were actually um, they committed uh, uh, ethnic the, the white folks in Oregon um, ethnic cleansing on them genocide. So um, they asked, you know, there was about $100 for a Shoshone scalp, a 50 for a, a woman, you know, 100 for a man, 50 for a woman, $25 scalp um, for a bounty for a scalp of a child 10 years and younger. The, the governors of uh, Oregon and Idaho said that Shoshone's, um, uh, that the best use for Shoshone's was target practice and gave a carte blanche okay to the citizens to shoot them. So... So because of that, they gave the tool that we made that night, um, which was made from an AR-15 from Thousand Oaks, California, which is one of the sites of mass shooting. Um, and, uh, and it was made into a tool that we actually started already using on our farm. So, um, so that was kind of nice and, and, and wonderful to support Shane and what he's doing. I really believe that, that he's doing a lot of good work, um, whether you're a, a follower of Jesus or whether you're not. This is something I think anybody who's anti-violent uh, and uh, gun violence can get behind. And then it also uh, gave a boost to lift every voice, which is currently um, and right now being determined in our legislature. And we need everybody to call about that, which creates a, a ban on assault rifles in Oregon. And so um, that's a pretty... Mm. It was a pretty worthwhile thing, a lot of fun, and, and, and in a larger sense, that's very much about reconciliation, right? Yeah. We're wanting people not to die. That's yeah. a pretty significant thing. Well, we are running out of time, so I guess we we can talk about different models of reconciliation in a future episode. Okay. I know that there's different uh, different configurations of that and expectations and techniques and stuff, so it would be good to, to flesh that out. But I think that's a really uh, good way to end about that. so let me let me just state a couple of those real quick as okay. a teaser. Okay, so so I've come to think of reconciliation as has been done um, among in the church for the last forty years as a, a, method, a means of reconciliation that makes white people feel really good and people of color feel really bad. And then I've come across, you know, I'm trying to find another, uh, which we call reparations. Yeah. And, and that's one that makes people of color feel really good and white people feel really bad. <laughs> oh, no. And so, and then there's probably some other paradigms, but um, that's all I need to say for now about that. All right. <laughs> wow. That is quite a doozy to end on. Listeners, we would love your feedback as always. We love, we've been getting more feedback than ever in the past month and we love it. So go ahead and post on the Facebook you can tweet at us. I'll link to all of this in the show notes. You can uh, email us, connect at piecingitalltogether.com. If you're a Patreon supporter, you can reach out to us there. We love to hear your thoughts and your feedback, your concerns, your critiques, your criticism, your questions. We love it all, and it helps us think through this stuff uh, in ways that we open up the conversation to find more and more conversation partners. So thank you for your shares and your likes and your comments and your reviews on iTunes. We need it all. And now you get to be in this like book study. What yeah, do you call it? a reading group. Our reading group. And you don't even have to pay a dollar to get into that. Nope. Uh, you just have to join. Yep. So Like the Facebook page and we'll set you up with an invitation. Thank you. Peace out. <laughs>